Good morning. I don't know where everybody came from earlier. It was empty. It's good to be with you this morning uh, again. This is my second time. For those that uh, wasn't here the first time, I was asked to uh, to preach, and uh, just so thankful to give the opportunity to to do this. Um, it really it really makes me study, and I know that that's bad, but. I'm not a dedicated reader. I take a lot of self-discipline for me to stick to my reading plan. So um, this way, it makes me accountable to you, and I'm thankful for that. I think we all need that accountability in our life. So thank you for keeping me accountable. This is good. So this morning, we're going to be studying through Genesis 35. <clears throat> so pull out your Bibles and or your phones and flip to Genesis 35. If you don't know where that is, it's after 34 and before 36. You're supposed to laugh at that. Um, so I was studying through this. It just made sense for me to divide up the chapter into five sections. And, and um, so we're going to do that. We're going to read the section of Scripture. And then we're going to dig into the observations and applications as we go. And I have to warn you, I've figured out that I am not verbose. And, and actually, I didn't even know what that word meant until I Googled it. So, um, so I, this is probably going to be shorter than your normal sermon, so you can, just, you can thank me later. So if I had to give a title or a theme to this, uh, uh, to this particular section of Scripture, it would be this. In spite of death, sin, and rebellion, God's plan for redemption will not be thwarted. So in spite of death, sin, and rebellion, God's plan for redemption will not be thwarted. So before we get into 35, let's remember where we were in the story or where we are in the story of Jacob and his family. Uh, last week, we learned in chapter 34 that Jacob settled in Shechem to restore himself from his long journey. And that he uh, that led to all kinds of trouble, which ended in the murder of all the men of Shechem by the hands of Jacob's sons, who then stole everything they had, including their women and children. And now Jacob is nervous. So Jacob's nervous. He's worried now the inhabitants of the land is going to overtake him and, and uh, de- destroy him, defeat him. So let's see what happens next. So we're going to start in the most obvious place, and that's Genesis 35.1. And we're going to stay in one for a minute. So let's read that together. Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So when I read this, I was like, man, this is the proverbial George McFly wake-up call. This is, hello, McFly, anybody home? Has anybody seen uh, Back to the Future? Come on. So God's like, hello, Jacob, remember me? It's God. Remember me, That remember back in Bethel when you made a vow to me to return from your journey. And I, if I gave you food and clothes and a safe return home, that you would come back. He said, it's time to get up and come back. He's reminded Jacob what uh, he made a vow to him for. So remember, uh, God promised to bring Jacob back to Bethel in Genesis 28, and the Lord always keeps his promises. He will seek out his sheep because he is the great shepherd. He leaves the 99 to find the one, and in this case, it's Jacob. So Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12 says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. 
So Jacob also made a vow to God, and God is reminding Jacob of his own vow. So God's saving Jacob from himself. The Lord always gives that escape from sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So God's reminders are right here in our manual, and it's pretty simple. We hear and obey. We talk about it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we should talk about it week after week after week, every day. So Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. How many times have you heard that verse before? Mitch says it all the time. So why does he say it all the time? I keep I ask myself every time he says it, man, why do you say this all the time? He says it all the time because I need constant reminder and you need constant reminder because we forget. We, we have our tendency to be just like Jacob and we forget what God says and we do it our own way, which usually ends up in a giant mess, which we can see where Jacob's at. So let's bring this to section two. Let's read uh, Genesis 35, two, three, four, two, three, four. I'm going to grab me some water. It's two, three, four. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods, which are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the, all the foreign gods which they had had and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which is near Shechem. So here we see Jacob hears and then Jacob obeys. We see that Jacob finally shows godly leadership. He remembers the fear of the Lord that he felt when he met the Lord in Bethel the first time, which is back in Genesis uh, twenty-eight seventeen. And knowing that he's going back, that fear of the Lord puts him into action to lead his people to purify themselves, and he calls for them to remove their foreign gods. And I got to this section, I was like, man, what foreign gods? Well, the foreign god is the idol of wealth. Remember, they looted the Hivites in chapter 34, and they took everything they had, so now they're, they're really wealthy. So that brings me to this point. We're going to kind of stick on this a little bit. Um, but you, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Matthew six twenty four. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So in our culture, we are surrounded by the idol of wealth. It's in our face constantly and we judge our success based on wealth. Uh, this this is a bit of a bunny trail, but I'm going to take it. Uh, so this bunny trail was actually confirmed uh, the other night. I had some dinner with some brothers in Christ, and and so this was confirmed. This was actually our conversation. It was pretty awesome. So it was. So I'm going to hear and I'm going to obey right now. So just stick with me for a little bit, and I want to talk about culture for a minute. 
We need to stop saying the word culture as in describing the present time because we actually live in a counterculture from the way God designed his world. God gave us gifts that create culture. And that created culture was meant for one reason and one reason only, and that was to glorify him above all. So we have taken the God-designed culture, we've manipulated it to self-serve and to build our own kingdoms. The gifts that lead to jobs in the arts, music, entertainment, engineering, architecture, medical field, manufacturing, insert your domain here, were all designed to glorify God. And we have turned it into a way to express ourselves and to seek out fictitious happiness. Seeking out this counterculture leaves uh, successes leaves us empty. How much money is enough? How much power and the feeling of self-worth, self-worth through climbing the ladder will be enough? We do all that at the expense of sometimes our families, our marriages, our friendships, and even our relationship with God. And y'all want you to hear me out. I was caught in that counterculture trap, and it cost me. It's easy to swim with the current. But it takes strength and encouragement to swim against the current. <clears throat> that strength and encouragement comes from surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters who are swimming against the current with you. So Jesus never said to go alone. Iron sharpens iron. So how do we fight our counterculture? <clears throat> By showing what the real kingdom looks like. And what the design culture looks like by engaging our domains for Jesus and giving the glory back to God who created it. That's our job. So is being wealthy bad? No, it's not bad. But it becomes our identity. Instead of having our identity in Christ, it becomes an idol. So one of my favorite sayings is this. And it's the one thing that I have never seen is a casket full of cash. The focus needs to be storing up our treasures in heaven and not here on earth. Matthew six nineteen through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. So how did they get to the point of serving these idols? The answer is sin. It was deception after deception after deception. And all started with the stealing of Esau's birthright. It was a continued spiral downhill. Y'all, sin gives birth and leads to more sin unless sin is put to death. Same with this. With disobedience leads to more disobedience unless you seek and hear and obey through faith. So Romans 8, 12 through 13 so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So did, did Jacob destroy the idols? No. He hid them. <laughs> I just kind of laughed at this. I was like, maybe if I put them under a tree, throw some dirt under top of them, that God just won't ever see them, right? 
Do we simply just hide our idols? Or do we seek to destroy them through the power of the Spirit? It reminds me of how I used to view Sunday mornings. Put on my best clothes, nice smile, some of my best cologne. Hide my daily idols. And let's go worship the Lord. Because I was led in the feeling of of that church was the only place that the Spirit lived. And as soon as I walked out of that building, I picked my idols back up again. The Lord does not reside in a building or a place. So every day and every place, every action should be worship because he is with us all the time. It's a daily battle, a daily cleansing, not a one time per week. Don't just try to hide your idols. Seek to destroy them through the spirit. Okay, so let's move on to uh, to, to section three here. We're going to be in Genesis 35, 5 through 8. 5 through 8, and we'll read that together. As they journeyed, there was a great terror among the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob said to, to Luz, uh, came to Luz, I'm assuming I'm saying that right, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alon Bakuth. So when studying scripture, it's a really good idea to take a look at a map for to better understand what they're talking about. And if you look at the map, you can see that this was a very short journey. You know, I think uh, in my head, I was like, man, it must have been a long journey. He was so scared. He's going to be overtaken. It was literally between Shechem and Bethel is 20 to 30 miles. It's about the distance from here to Cartersville. But I can guarantee you that Jacob's journey was way more exciting than 411. Guaranteed. So you mean to tell me that Jacob set up shop 20 to 30 miles from the place where he made a vow to God to return? Why in the world would he do that? And I couldn't figure that out. I had to go searching for some observations on this. <clears throat> and I came across a quote uh, from Bob Bob Deffenball. As a pastor of a community Bible chapel, chapel, chapel it's easy for you to say, in Richardson, Texas. And this just about sums it up. He said, he said, we may appear to be walking close to God while the opposite is true. We may, be appear, we may appear to be walking close to God while the opposite is true. So Jacob was in close proximity distance-wise, but he was far from following God. But we see that Jacob's obedience brings the blessing. It brings the blessing of God's protection on his journey between, the, between Shechem and Bethel. So that obedience brings blessing. Then we get to verse 8, and we, and, and we kind of wonder why, why we have the death of Deborah kind of stuck in here. And we're going to get to that. So for now, I want to table that and uh, move on to uh, 35, 9 through 15. So Genesis 35, 9 through 15. Let's look at that. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him and said to, them, said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, 
I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So we see here that God appears to Jacob and he blesses him. He he throws out another reminder. He reminds him that his name is Israel. It's not Jacob. You remember, look back at the Genesis 32, 28. Jesus, I mean, uh, God already gave him, Jacob, a new name. Jacob walked in separation for God and, and Jacob forgot his new name. God had to remind him, hey, I've already given you a new name. You are to walk in new life and accept your new name. Unfortunately, we need reminders And God is faithful to do just that. In my interpretation of how God uh, speaks this particular verse in my life, it goes like this. I already gave you a new name. It's time to start acting like it. And then after that, God gives him another reminder. It's another, it's a reconfirmation of God's promise to Abraham to be fulfilled through, uh, God's promise to Abraham to be fulfilled through Israel. That salvation will come to the lineage of Abraham. And we remember back in Genesis 17 that God gave Abram a new name as well, Abraham. So let's look at Revelation 2.17. tends to be a, um, a pattern. It said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name. Written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. So from Genesis to Revelation, the message is the same. God gives us a new name. So let's start acting like it. And not forget. So let's go on to the final section here. And we're, uh, I got 18 minutes left. I am rocking and rolling. Uh, so this is not going to take 18 minutes. I guarantee that. But we're going to do the final section, uh, Genesis 35, 16 through 29. So 15 through 29, or 16 through 29, sorry. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died. That she named him Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, that is, the, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. It came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine and Israel heard of it now there were 12 sons of Jacob the sons of Lee were Reuben Jacob's firstborn then Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun the sons of Rachel Joseph and Benjamin and the sons of Bilhah Rachel's maid Dan and Naphtali and the sons of Zilpah Leah's maid Gad and Asher 
These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Jacob came to his father Isaac at memory of Kiara Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, an old man of ripe age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So what we see here is stuck right in the middle of this section of, of a chapter, of a section of scripture, is that sin continues. Look at, look at verse 22. We see that Reuben created, uh, made the sin against his father. So sin is still crouching at the door. In Genesis, uh, reference Genesis 4-7. Sin has consequences. And those consequences of sin may not rear their ugly head at first, but will come. Because we reap what we sow. In this case, we later learn in the narrative that Reuben had lost his, uh, his privileges as firstborn son because of this sin. That's in Genesis 49, 3-4. Which was delayed consequences of his sin. So the wages of sin is death. So we learned about three deaths in Genesis 35. Deborah in verse 8, Rachel in verse 19, and Isaac in verse 29. And God's people were constantly looking for the one that was going to overcome death and save the nations. And Moses writes this to assure us that Jacob is not the one. Jacob can't save his people from dying, and Jacob clearly did not overcome his death himself. So enduring death is still an outcome of the fall. That's, that does not change based on our walk with Jesus. But God continues to bless his people in spite of death as he promised he would. For example, in Rachel's death, we learn Benjamin was born, who will become the 12th nation of Israel and play a pivotal role in the story of Joseph. And some other key descendants of Benjamin, uh, Ehud, the second judge of Israel, Saul, Israel's first king, Queen Esther, and the apostle Paul. So there's blessing in, in those things, in death. So here's the good news. The greater Israel did come and was the one that overcame death. And we have new life in Christ and no longer have to fear death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 6 through 13, assures us that this free gift has nothing to do with works. That, that's very obvious as you look at the life of Jacob. It has to do with God and his choice and his love for his people. So in conclusion, uh, what do we overall lesson learn in Genesis 35? That in spite of death, sin, and rebellion, God's plan for redemption will not be thwarted. He keeps his covenant promises. He loves us so much that he continues to make a way for us to be in deep relationship with him. Even down to doing the unthinkable of sacrificing his own son for us. Do you know and understand how much he loves you? If you don't read his word, remove the noise in your life, hear and obey. Through seeking his face and growing in faith, it will be revealed to you. 
And his love for you will become so apparent that it is truly undeniable. So let's, let's pray and let's worship. Lord, thank you so much for this day. And we thank you for, um, for giving me the opportunity to, to speak your word. And Lord, I pray that, that, word is, um, that your word has found hearts. And um, Lord, that your people have heard my heart. Lord, I just thankful for, for you who makes a way for us. And even though you don't need us, you want us and you love us. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And we just pray that uh, you continue to remind us. Um, even though we forget over and over and over again, Lord, keep reminding us. Keep going after your sheep as you promised. Lord, we just uh, praise your name and thank you, and we worship you now. And in Jesus' name, amen.